So cheers. Yeah, really, cheers. it's for congratulations to you because thank you. I was very excited. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color, I am joined by an iconic, groundbreaking journalist, broadcaster, and news executive in this province. She's a graduate from BCIT's Technology and Broadcast Communications Program, from where she actually started her career at BC TV, which is now Global BC. She has anchored several programs and filled in for more programs throughout her illustrious 35-year career, including a decade at the helm of Global BC's NewsHour final. In 2015, she was the first female news director at Global BC and BC One, leading one of the most successful newsrooms in the country, a role that expanded to include the oversight of the 980 CKW radio news team and Global Okanagan news team in Kelowna. She has supported many local charities in our community, including the BC Sports Hall of Fame, Coast Mental Health Foundation, and BC Children's Hospital. She's fabulous. She's incredible. And she's here. She is Jill Crop. Woo! Jill! Cue the cheering noise. How are you? I'm good. That didn't... Wow, that's me? That's you. <laughs> here I sit in a Luke Bryan t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> Down to earth, Jill Crop. Mm, I'm not super fancy. You brought me something fancy, though. I did. One of the few guests to bring me a treat. Yes. And you brought me champagne. You topped everyone else. Well, This I, is better than kombucha. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it has different powers uh, than kombucha. It does. I, I love a little bubbly, and I like a good bubbly. Well, so. I appreciate it, and this is a great way to, to record a podcast for me. It is. I should have <laughs> probably brought a magnum. But it is only, you know, <laughs> what time of day? Yeah, so it's I only like 10.30 I thought we'd go easy. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I've only met you once in person, almost exactly 10 years ago at the BC Export Awards, which you hosted at the time. My company, which is still my day job, won an award. I got to meet you. I was starstruck. And at that time, I would have never imagined that 10 years later, we'd be sitting here full circle and I'd be interviewing you. So this is so surreal for me. That's interesting. I, I didn't imagine it either. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> uh, yeah, those were um, lots of award shows in this city. I have emceed a lot, a mm -hmm. lot of award shows. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, they're, they're a side part of the anchor job. Mm. But a really unique part because you get to see what everybody else spends their day doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, people might not know this, but the genesis for my current commentary gig at CKNW was you. Woohoo! And I'm extremely appreciative of that, that somehow I caught your attention, you saw something in me, and you urged the station to find a role for me. There were certainly a lot of people that helped make that happen as well, but you were very instrumental. So I want to publicly express my gratitude to you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I, um, I'm always on the lookout for talent. Um, and I think work speaks for itself. It really does. People's work. And uh, I had heard you and love what you're doing and love that it's different mm -hmm. and it's diverse. And I made a call and said, hey, <laughs> I know because I knew some of what was going on behind the scenes, I know we've got some potential openings coming up, some mm -hmm. things happening. I urge you to take a look at this uh, young man. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for calling me young, too. Yeah, I appreciate you're welcome. That. <laughs> <laughs> right now, everybody's younger than I am almost, so it's good. 
at least in the business. Your career, an illustrious 35 years in journalism and broadcasting, stepping down from your position as the news director for Global BC, what a weird time to do that. No party, no like goodbyes, kind of a goodbye over Zoom, apparently, I saw mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter. That must be quite surreal, right? Yes. Uh, I, I think we're all living in a surreal world mm-hmm. right now. You know, I walked in and we couldn't shake hands, right? <laughs> um, so it, it's these are very unique times. Um, I'm tired of hearing strange because strange implies that it's bad and horrible. And yeah, it's not great, but we've kind of got to wrap our heads around it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, they actually had a spectacular going away for me at the station. Oh, okay. And I'm almost going to choke up talking about it because I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. I walked into our giant studio on my last day there, uh, which was the end of September the 30th. And <laughs> it looked like a weird alien spaceship hospital ward because <laughs> they had these chairs, you know, separated by quite a distance and all these people in masks sitting in there. And that studio is quite dark. We don't currently do any newscasts out of there. It's where I did um, my talk show unfiltered, but mm-hmm. there's nothing really daily going on in there right now. And they had some balloons and a, and a screen at front. And so it was just kind of like, oh, this is so odd. And then I, I finally get to the end of the walkway that they're walking me down to a chair. There's my husband and my son. Aww. And I just burst into tears. I was like, you guys are here too. <laughs> um, and so they did a they did a beautiful send off with, okay. with a video. And Sophie hosted it. And wow. um, people from across Canada were on the Zoom yeah. uh, call. So they adapted really well. <laughs> to the situation at the same time i and i think people might find this odd because i was an anchor for 29 years mm-hmm. and people assume you love the limelight when you're an anchor uh, and there's certainly a part of you that likes that performance and likes being there obviously but i don't i, I don't want all the attention <laughs> i don't i don't need you to make a fuss over me yeah. um, that kind of feeling um and so it felt it was sort of awkward and and i'm kind of glad there wasn't this massive party because i would have felt v- much more at the at the center of the attention For sure and it I, sounds like a lovely goodbye anyways it though. was spectacular yeah sophie louis yeah. emceed it it okay. was really great <laughs> another it great was, MC. yeah it was really great and then at the end some of the people came up and talked to my family and um you know we're just um sharing thoughts and of course you know the videos got my hairstyles uh, and it had <laughs> throughout the era it started with some video from Czech TV where I had worked just prior to coming here mm-hmm. um, and you know funny little goodbyes from people so um, yeah no it was, it was really good are you retiring no. full stop no so we're going to see you at another network. No. Oh, no. No. Sorry. That was like a lot of no's. Um, <laughs> I'm too young to retire from working. And I have a lot I want to do. Um, but I I don't have a desire to be in news. Um, okay. So right, news right and right media, now. you're done. News. 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 I would say news is good. I'm done. Yeah. Because 34 years is a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And no- news is hard. News is really hard on your soul. It, it really is. Yeah. And and I, you know, I worked in, so, you know, not to run you through my whole career, but Prince George, Regina, Halifax, Victoria, Vancouver. No, sorry. Prince George, Regina, Halifax, Victoria, Halifax, Victoria. Bit of a story, but not a big one. And then Vancouver for the last 21 years. Mm-hmm. And you remember the bad stories. Yeah. From everywhere. The girl who went missing, who was never found. The, the woman who was murdered by her spouse, mm-hmm. uh, the horrible house fire, uh, 
that took a family. Those stories stay with you. Um, You know, they talk about when you're pregnant, and I'm diverging here, but when you're pregnant, read. Lots of people read or play Mozart, you know, Mm -hmm. read to the baby in utero. Well, my child in utero sat through the 11 o'clock news. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening, our top story tonight. (laughs) You know, death and destruction and mayhem. No wonder he's a bit of a worrywart. Um, So it leaves a mark. Yeah, and so I, I, you know, I, I still love the chase. I still love stories, um, but it leaves a mark, and I. So I, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Have you thought about what your next chapter will look like in your professional career? I mean, clearly you haven't ruled out media. <laughs> we have an issue with some bubbles. Excuse me. Take your time, please. Could I be a champagne tester somewhere? <laughs> um. I have so many ideas of things I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's not enough life in one lifetime to be all the things I want to be. Sure, yeah. And so I really kind of figured it's time to get on with the next part and, mm-hmm. and start tapping into some of those things. I'm looking at your shirt. It's this lovely, <laughs> colorful shirt. Yeah, I bought it's, this in Tulum. Oh, did sugar you? Skulls. I should have known. Well, that, those skulls. are, so that is from Dia de los Muertos, um, which is the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And in Mexico, they go to the graveyards on November 1st and visit their family That's members right. who've passed on. Um, and so there's lots of cakes and candies, and they're all in these beautiful skull or skeleton shapes. And that mm-hmm. shirt just captures it so much. I, <laughs> I love um, just about everything about Mexico. Um, it's one of my favorite places. And I've been following um, a, a couple on Instagram who have a shop called uh, Boca Grande, which is Big Mouth in Spanish. Okay. And they sell donuts and taco kits. And they're only they're in Delta and they're only open a few days a week. Oh, wow. And I somehow tripped over them. And I'm loving watching them. I'm like, donuts, that would be so fun. <laughs> so I want to go do something fun. Okay. And so that's what's next for me. I'm on a path to joy. And the way to get there is through fun. I love that. We have to talk about this because a lot of people are pointing to an August 26th article in Vice by Manisha Krishnan, which spoke to a dozen current and former employees of Global News who spoke about systemic racism in the workplace, both in terms of the type of news coverage put forth and the treatment of people of color within the organization. The day after that article, you announced that you would be stepping down. So did the Vice article play a role in your decision? No. And with much respect to the journalist, Ms. Krishnan, um, I know when you do a story like that, you're hoping to have impact. Journalists want to affect change. We want to hold people of power to account. So in your best case scenario, you create a you know, story, you do the interviews, you publish it or you air it, and boom, change happens. But I'm going to go back to what you and I started uh, talking about was the pace of corporate culture and how slow things are and how, mm-hmm. how long it took for you to actually you know, secure a deal to get on air at CKNW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if people are familiar with these kinds of situations, they'll understand this doesn't happen overnight. Leaving yeah. a career of 34 years. This is months in the making. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's conversations with your family. There's conversations <laughs> with your boss. There's more conversations with your family. Yeah. There's some soul searching. And so, no, that are, that was purely coincidental. In fact, the announcement about my departure was meant to happen I, on Friday. And I can't remember the exact 
date. I, I want to say, like, was it Friday the 13th? Um, <laughs> and that's September? why you delayed it? <laughs> well, no, I was on vacation. Oh, I see. A- and okay. then the following week, my boss, uh, Alexander Han- Henderson, lo- a spectacular woman. I so enjoyed working for her. Um, she was on vacation the following week. So okay. the date just ca- the date got bumped. And and to be really frank, you know, we were had been in discussion for quite some time. How long does it take to reach that decision? And I guess, when did you decide then? So Christmas, two years ago, have you got the historical music under bed? (laughs) Going back in time. Um, Two years ago. Two years ago. 2018. Yeah, it'll be two years this Christmas. We have a small cabin in a little town um, near Princeton. And... um, my husband and my stepson were out, I think, snowmobiling, and I was there with my stepdaughter, who's uh, she was 20 at the time, 20 or 21. And I follow Robin Sharma on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari, yes. author, motivational speaker. And he wrote, I think it was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, if everything you wanted to have happen this year happened, what would that look like? Hmm. And man, did that ever strike me of being so full of intention. I am, anybody who knows me knows I'm not a planner. I am a fly by the seat of my pants. (laughs) I wing it a lot. I am not structured. Uh, I'm the opposite of that. I'm, you know, we joke, I'm the big ideas person. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll get you to do it because I've just got the idea. But I, but I, wow, start to finish is tedious and I'm not a big planner. (laughs) And I'm I'm growing to appreciate planning more um, as I age. And I recognize then that if you don't set out intention, if you simply have hope for things to happen, sure, there's a chance they'll happen. Yeah. There's also a chance they may not. But if you are much more purposeful, mm-hmm. you're more likely to make those things happen. So as this new year stretches before you, what do you want it to be? And I, th- I think that was probably the kickoff. Right. For sure. For me. And I know my first thought was, I'd like to spend the whole summer at our cabin at the lake, <laughs> which I didn't manage to do last summer, you know, or the summer after that Christmas. But maybe I'll get to do it next summer. Right. Um, and so that's, that was the, I, I would say that's the, that was the start of the journey. Yeah. I love that. I love that whole idea of planting intention because I think it is a much more purposeful type of thought as opposed to just, I want that, or I hope this happens. Mm -hmm. It's really sitting with whatever that desire is, that intention is, and thinking about how you get there. Yeah. Well, and some people call it manifesting, right? Sure, You know, you have that intention and you manifest it. Um, On the flip side, I'm not a huge proponent of the five-year plan. There was an era where everybody had to have a (laughs) five-year plan and a 10-year plan. So those are great, but I also would argue that you might miss things along the way if you're just stuck on that path of your plan. So there's some serendipity to be found as well. And so you can't be so hard, you know. I mean, if any year is going to teach us that, it's this year. You have to be able to be adaptable and see where opportunities exist or maybe where you should put things on the back burner. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I go back to what I said earlier. There's you know, I want to, I love traveling. I want to see every country. I mm-hmm. want to learn languages. You know, I, I know enough Spanish to get by. My son's in French immersion. <laughs> I, I, there's so many things I want to do and sure. be. And I figured get busy living or 
Yeah. From Shawshank Redism, um, Shawshank Redemption. Get busy dying. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to touch on these issues of Absolutely. systemic racism mm-hmm. in the media, though, because I think you do have a lot of insights into this with your experience. This issue of systemic racism has really come to the forefront in the public consciousness this year in particular. And isn't that a shame that it's taken us this long? Yeah, because I think there were voices that have been trying to talk about this for a while. And with all the things happening in the world, we are really having an engaging conversation about it. I hope so. We've seen the broader culture engage with this with regard to equity, representation, discrimination. And one thing I want to bring up, and I've talked about this on this program with Nadia Stewart, was the Canadian Association of Black Journalists. They sent an open letter to Chorus Entertainment President Douglas Murphy. Chorus, of course, is the umbrella organization for Global. Parent company. Parent company. Mm -hmm. The letter was on behalf of frustrated Black employees and journalists at Global who felt like they were not being heard on issues surrounding systemic racism within the work environment, including the nature of news coverage. Were you a part of the process in addressing concerns of that letter? Yes and no. Um, Wow, it's such a complicated issue. Um, And I want to be really careful that I'm not the lone representative for the company. And I don't work there anymore. Yeah, you speak for yourself. Yeah, well, you know, but but be respectful of... of, um, the situation. So, you know, the minutia of it is that a response wouldn't come from somebody necessarily at my level, right? Mm-hmm. That that went to the head of the company, the CEO. He has his own team. Um, there's a people team, right? And his people. Um, and there was discussion that was ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was aware of the letter, as was, you know, most everybody. Um, and it, it, it wasn't the first point of contact with CABJ. Mm. Um, And so I think there were lots of things going on simultaneously. Um, But certainly we had discussions, uh, obviously at a management level. um, Mm. And, um, and, and, and talked about, gosh, you know, all our failings, all our hopes and dreams, all our desires and, and, and how we um, could hopefully, begin to rectify the situation. When you read the letter, how did it affect you personally? Because these are effectively your colleagues, people that work for well, Global. Here's the interesting and I know thing. they're across the country. Yeah, so, yeah. here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, I think we don't have a large black community in BC. Mm-hmm. We have a large South Asian community, very large, but we don't have a large black community. Um, There is in Toronto. uh, There is in Halifax. I worked in Halifax for six years. Uh, And I think I I don't want to split hairs and I don't want to shrug responsibility in any way. But I think a lot of what was going on was based on what was happening in Toronto Mm -hmm. with, with Global News. That is not to say Global BC is, you know, this great pillar of <laughs> diversity and, and we're perfect, not by a long shot. But I don't think any big organization is, if we're being fair. Yeah, but yeah. I talked to a person of color just this morning on my way in and I said, I'm going to have this conversation and I don't want to just give white Jill Crop's impression uh, in case it's skewed. And I want to hear from you how you feel um, about systemic racism in 
our newsroom, mm. the newsroom that I was in. And and he said, I never felt targeted as a person of color, and I never felt uh, as if my colleagues uh, held me back or said negative things, as if management held me back or said negative things. There wasn't an air uh, of systemic racism within our group. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, absolutely, um, there are microaggressions, um, and there are when you look at our diversity, you know, I think it's quite apparent on air. But when you start to peel back the layers internally, it it thins out. Mm. And so for him, that's that's where we need to do more work. Yeah. And so I would never say there's not racism or systemic racism ever. I mean, I Lord, I hope we get to the day when when that happens, mm-hmm. when there isn't. Um but we are going there's going to have to be a lot of soul searching and a lot of work on people and i and i think you know we'll keep digging into this over the course of this conversation but boy did i learn a lot and i'm so grateful for the experiences and i recognize you know caucasian people have some deep soul searching to do to to try to understand fully you know, our role and how we can help and and what can be done. At what point did this awareness come about for you? Was it over the last year? Was it even before that? When did you start to have this awareness, this awakening to ideas of systemic racism? Because for a lot of people, this is a new idea and people are looking at their own organizations a lot differently. So I'm just curious about you personally. Well, I think as Canadians, we'd like to think we're not. Yeah. Right? We, <laughs> well, we love to point to our American neighbors and say, oh, they have all the race problems and but they we're don't. not like them. And, and isn't that we it, have our own stuff. Yeah, I, absolutely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the Trump card, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and I I am so appalled by his behavior. So appalled. <laughs> um I and you know what? I thinking about this beforehand, I was gonna quote things. I won't even give him that that space but the racism that spews forth from his mouth daily gets under my skin and makes me so angry um it's opened up this underbelly of racism that was there the whole time oh he ripped the box off the lid off the pandora's box he just pried it wide open and on one hand i think that's good because we see you now Make no mistake, we see you, mm-hmm. we know who you are, and we know what you stand for. Mm-hmm. You will not be able to hide from this. Um, and I think you're on the wrong side of history. And uh, as I look back over 34 years, I recognize in the moment is quite different when you're reflecting on sure, it. Sure, yeah. And so um, we've now seen the Canadians, um, who I think we naively thought, no, not us. Mm-hmm. Look at us, so welcoming. Um, but but we see them now. So was it uh, over the past four years then that this started to... Yeah, absolutely. For everybody. And I think that's why we got to where we got to mm-hmm. uh, and where we are. Um, for me personally, um, the conversation with Mo Dollywall um, really opened my eyes to white power imbalance. Mm-hmm. And so I naively thought 
I was doing all the right things, hiring diverse people, um, making sure our coverage was diverse. (laughs) And a good example is just after I became the news director, they were talking about doing a story on adults in their 30s moving home with their parents and the shock and horror. And I went, whoa, 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 people. <laughs> do, do you not see that that's just us? Yeah. The wasps in the room? Yeah. Do you not see that people whose families have come from India or China, this is what they do? <laughs> they live generationally, right? Please don't approach this as gasp the horror. Yeah. Because you're looking at it through that that old lens, that white, middle-aged white lens. Um, you know, so let's change how we look at that. Um, so so there's just all those little bits and pieces. But, but you know, obviously I, I was aware of white privilege and I have some grasp of white privilege, probably always could could be better um, as, as we all can this isn't uh, a purity test or yeah, a, good a judgment on you yeah. it's, it's just an honest conversation because yeah. you were brought up in a lot of these issues right well I was the leader yeah and that's that's the hard part of leadership um, yeah that's the hard part of leadership because they may not be your personal views or you wouldn't have had those actions or you wouldn't have made that comment or you wouldn't have done this but now you're answering for it and that that's leadership yeah. Let's talk about that conversation with Mo Dollywall. September 27th, 2019, Focus BC. You and Mo sat down. It came on the heels of a previous episode where he overheard someone at Global make a joke about blackface. I'm someone who discusses a lot of these issues on my podcast. I've even been on CKNW and discussed racism and systemic racism. When I watched that conversation, with all due respect, it was a disaster on both sides. I will say that I thought Sonia Diol did a really good job in trying to rein in the conversation to make it a little more accessible, but it was just difficult to follow for me. And I think the reason for that is, first, we didn't know the nature of the blackface joke. And second, you two were discussing interpretations of conversations that the audience was not privy to. So it was really hard to follow what you guys were even talking about. And at the end of it, and I rewatched it prior to this interview, and I read the transcript of it as well. I mean, Mo really just came out with one recommendation, which was having a diversity and inclusion committee that was not employed by Global. I'm going to assume that you had the best intentions in that chat. I think that's a fair assumption. But looking back on it now, how would you have conducted it differently one year removed from it? It was a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, it was a disaster. Uh, It was a classic case of that was not the intention. And wow, we're on live TV and this just went over the cliff. Yeah. it just had no value for me as a No, we were viewer. trying I obviously would not in a million years speak for Mo. Um we he and I did continue to chat for mm-hmm. 45 minutes after that. Mm-hmm. Um 
Which also wasn't fair to the audience, right? Because <laughs> you didn't get to see that part. Uh, and we had spoken before. Yeah. Um, Mike Henniger, who's the assistant news director, and I had gone downtown, um, not far from here, actually, uh, and met with Mo, um, bef- you know, or several days before. We were trying to right a wrong, mm-hmm. is what we were trying to do. And it didn't happen. And like I said earlier, white power imbalance was what I took from that. Um, and we had a diversity and inclusion committee. Mm-hmm. And it was one I had um, reinvigorated. It had kind of fallen off the edge of someone's desk at Global. And I had brought it back to life. Mm-hmm. And we met once a month. Um, but I didn't recognize that because my intentions were good, I didn't recognize that people of color might be going, just the white boss in there. So, you know, I got to be careful what I say. I, I think as you can tell, I'm a very open person. I don't sugarcoat things and I, I'm not, I don't have a, an ulterior motive that you're not aware of that I'm hiding while mm-hmm. I'm talking, right? I'm, I'm a, a pretty open book. And so those were my true intentions. Like, let's talk about this and what can we do? And um, but I but I hadn't recognized that if you don't see yourself in this group, if you don't see yourself in the leader, the value is immediately diminished. Mm. And that's what Mo taught me. Um, is that sure because I'm in that position of authority, set that up and then step away, mm-hmm. um, and say, hey. And, and I and I had, you know, but I, um, it, it's hard because you don't want to get into a tit for tat, and that's what Mo and I got into, mm-hmm. that ridiculous back and forth. Yeah. And quite frankly, I should have just listened. That's all I should have done is listened. So that's what you feel like you would have done differently if you could go back in time. Absolutely. Does any part of you look at that whole incident? And go, and again, we don't know the nature of the joke. I'm not expecting you to tell me that. That's fine. But does any part of you go, we're talking about a joke? No. In juxtaposing that to issues of diversity and representation, like when I look at the CABJ letter that was sent to Chorus, that stuff seemed a lot more substantive to someone that worked and the, or that works in global rather than a passing comment that could kind of just be handled by telling the person who made that comment, you know, you're not, you can't really make jokes like that or that's inappropriate mm-hmm. as opposed to more like, I just don't know how a joke necessarily, and I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate wow. here. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how a joke can be weighted with the same importance as who's in power, who's being represented, how stories are framed. Like that, those, those things seem more substantive to me than what someone says. And, and I've thought about this a lot and I don't have all the answers. I'm not pretending that I do. But I, when I talked to Dino Archie, who's a local comedian here, he's black. And we talked about the Stockwell Day incident on power and politics, where Stockwell Day was comparing racism to being called four eyes and then ended up losing his job and or his job at power and politics and then a few other gigs as well. And Dino 
I'm not going to quote him directly because I want to keep it clean, but Dino, <laughs> Darn. Dino basically said, you know, I don't care about that guy. I'm more concerned about who are the voices that you're bringing in mm-hmm. after that guy? Mm-hmm. Who's the, the managers that are putting together these segments on race? And so there is part of me that looks at that. And I'm sure people are going to be offended about that, too. But there is part of me that looks at that and goes, you know, if it was just a dumb joke that could be solved by telling that person, hey, that's inappropriate. It wasn't much to do about nothing when there's so much other stuff going on, like the stuff that was contained in the CABJ letter. Wow. You just said all that. I just did. (laughs) Well, I mean, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are the conversations that we have to have. I don't think we can, anytime there's a microaggression, get completely outraged. We do have to look at the overall structure if we are talking about systemic racism. I'm fascinated by this Um, because people couldn't see. But when you were launching into a joke, I was vehemently shaking my head. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll stick to what I know. There, there's no room for a joke at anyone's expense. Mm-hmm. There is no room for a misspeak, particularly in journalism. Mm-hmm. I think we're held to a higher account than the general public. I think if anybody should know words matter, it's journalists. Mm-hmm. I think... You need to err on the side of caution. I think you need to always be aware of um, how other people will interpret it. I think from a comedian's perspective, if you've gone to a comedy show, that's different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, sure. If you're expecting that, absolutely different. But when you've been invited to speak to the Trudeau blackface incident from a decade or two ago, Mm -hmm. and you overhear... Oh, well, I must be doing their blackface in your ear. And then nobody says a thing about it. Was that the joke? (laughs) Nobody says a thing about it. Yeah. And you're like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. I came here to talk about what it's like to be a person of color. And to have this experience. And and someone within this team is is making a joke that references that? Mm-hmm. How is that okay? Because that is systemic racism. Mm-hmm. That is that little piece that seems innocuous and is just a joke. But when you add all those just a jokes up, you have racism. Yeah. And I'm not saying the person who cracked that joke is viewed as a racist by their colleagues. Um, has but they said, didn't think it would be a big deal, effectively. Yes. And it didn't so, strike them. No, it didn't. It, clearly, because they said it. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, separate and, and part of leadership, I was away with friends. Uh, I was on a girl's trip. And, uh, you know, so the, it's those kind of things you'll never forget. I'm driving, I've dropped the girls off at San Francisco Airport and I'm taking the rental car back and my phone is blowing up. And I'm like, what's going on? I just left town for a few days. Mm-hmm. Oh, we did. Oh, oh, God. Okay. You know, all right. Um, so you didn't have a hand in cutting that original I segment. Was, I was sipping wine in Napa. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about a time when I was a teenager, 
And are you going to make me cry? No, okay. I don't think so. Maybe we'll see. Sometimes it happens here, but you know, <laughs> no. But I think about a time when I was a teenager, and I'm embarrassed to admit that. And it was also a cultural time as well, but. I would say things like, that's gay or that's retarded, which are completely inappropriate. I was a dumb kid, but when looking back, the environment also, even within school, sort of not condone it, but just overlooked stuff like that. You didn't really get taught not to say that. And I was a good student, you know, parents loved me, teachers loved me. I was a good kid by all measures. But I remember I, I used to say stuff like that, not out of any hatred for anyone, but just because of what I was seeing in the media or TV or, and again, I'm embarrassed to admit that, but again, I was a teenager and I'll be honest. And it only was until a teacher stopped me, talked to me privately and said, you know, why do you, why would you say something like that? And I was a dumb kid and I said, what do you mean? I'm talking with my friends. Like, yeah, well, on the, you know, that's gay thing. Like, why would you have a negative connotation to the word gay? I said, well, none of my friends are gay as far as I know. So I'm not making fun of gay people. Right. And I was trying to justify it in my (laughs) head. You are. (laughs) Well, I was was justifying it in my head because I wasn't directing hate at those groups. And the teacher just said, well, you know, you're using it in a negative connotation. What if someone who is gay overhears that? How do you think they're going to feel? And that was kind of the thing where I was like, oh, yeah. What if someone's disabled and you say the R word? How are they going to feel? And I was like, yeah, that's, they probably wouldn't feel that great about it. And it was only until someone actually sat me down (laughs) and had that conversation where it's like, yeah, you and your friends are joking around, quote unquote, locker room talk, whatever. But it can have consequences. And this teacher also then said, you know, you're seen as someone who is relatively popular. You're you're a leader. Yeah. So when you say that. It makes it okay for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, I think times have changed. I think kids probably use less of that language. You know what? So my son is 12. Please. And I was at his school. He's at a French immersion school. They were doing the Lion King last year year before and i think maybe even the year before and uh there was a day where parents were asked to come help build the set and paint and color and you know get the masks and do all the stuff mm-hmm. and kids were there too and it was really neat i love mixing with kids because they say the darnest things that's <laughs> um, true and we were it was a nice sunny day it was a saturday and we were outside and some kids were painting i think probably the rock that would be pride rock mm. for lion king and there was a group of kids around and they were older than my son um and so the language was a little, you know, more adult and yeah. a little looser. And and uh, a young boy of color uh, was there talking with this group. And he might have been the only one with a group of girls. And somehow I got talking to them. Uh, and or maybe I was o- overhearing them. But, you know, somewhere along the way he said, well, yeah, so-and-so called me gay and they... You know, they say that to me to be mean and 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 the girls kind of chimed in. And I said, yeah, that's not very nice. I said, because if you are gay, that's OK. Mm-hmm. Like, that's OK. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why. And I 
because I walked away and went, oh my goodness, in this day and age, in an elementary school, kids are still hurling that hmm. as an insult. Yeah. And it comes from somewhere. It comes right. from somewhere. <laughs> You know, and yeah. I'm fascinated by that. I, I was talking to this woman who's uh, got adult children, and she's talking about her son in New York. And, you know, she's going on about he wears pink shirts, and they go to gay clubs, and da, 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 but he's not gay. <laughs> I'm like, um, <laughs> probably is. But anyways, that's your own, your own family the thing. for the qualifier, yeah, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. Said, I said, first of all, pink shirts are awesome. And secondly, gay's okay. Yeah. Like, like I, I still, I'm baffled by where we still are. Like, why is this taking so long? Yeah. Um, years ago, I had a girlfriend, uh, uh, somebody I knew from Halifax, and I had already moved here, and I was actually working at CKNW, and she sent me an email. I used to fill in for Till and McComb on The World Tonight when they mm -hmm. took vacation in 07. Sent me a big, long email. I had a relationship. It's awesome. It's been a few months. Um, you know, complicated, because, well, as you know, I'm a woman, and she's a woman, but we're not lesbians. Okay, um, yes, you are, but I fully understand why you don't want that label. Yeah. Because that's just this extra thing you got to carry around. Mm -hmm. And and she jokingly said, hey, can you tell my parents for me? And I said, I didn't have to tell my parents I was straight. Uh, yeah. I, I don't understand why you have to tell your parents you're gay. Like, fully get that you want to or that mm -hmm. you should, but like, I look forward to the day when we don't have to make these declarations. Exactly. Because everything's it's okay to be who you are. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you identified words matter. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we have to be hyper aware of the words we use mm -hmm. because they matter so much. When we talk about systemic discrimination of any type or systemic racism. One of the things that I discussed with Nadia Stewart in episode 85 was about this idea of diversity data. And so she said, and this was over the summer, so not that long ago, but she said, you know, the industry doesn't report on itself aside from CBC, which is required to by law. Was there any push? Is there any push prior to you leaving for global to collect diversity data? Because when we are talking about representation inclusion, you kind of have to know what the current status is, right? For sure. Um, uh, there, is a, there, is, there is data collected, uh, to be really clear, because I had to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's not just CBC. And forgive me, because I don't want to misspeak on this, but I, I do believe it's a function of the CRTC. Um, but I could be wrong on that. But I just know that we'd get, hey, you need to fill this out. Um, and Viz men's, women, new hires. Mm -hmm. So there is some data collected for sure. There is also, and it, it's, I, I want to say it's complicated. It's not really complicated, but if you are, you have to ask people of color if you're allowed, if they're okay with you collecting that kind of data. Okay. Because that yeah. singles them out. Sure. And some of them don't want to be singled out. Mm. You know, that's, and that's on every person, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's part of the trick. But absolutely, you can take the opportunity to ask them. 
And if you don't ever ask them, then they've never had the opportunity to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So you can ask them. Um, I do know, and again, I I don't work there anymore, so I want to be really careful. Um, And while I was still there, the Diversapro... Um, this was the outside consultancy. Yeah, inquiry was underway. Okay. And so that may well be one of their findings. When you were there, what did you do as a leader in the organization to address the issues around systemic racism or systemic discrimination of any kind? Because obviously there were allegedly incidents of microaggressions, incidents of outward racism within the organization. And again, you're only looking at Global BC. But looking at your leadership roles, what did you do? Well, I had lots of conversations um, with people and obviously um, worked really hard at diversifying the team. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of the people I hired uh, and I'm proud of the people I added to the team. and, you know, I, I, I think your actions also speak for themselves in, in many ways. Uh, leadership is more difficult than that because it can't just be your actions. You know, leadership is really about making things very, very clear mm-hmm. to people. So I was, you know, uh, and, I, and I don't mean to throw shade on the person who made the comment because, as I said, the colleagues really said, ah, we don't think that person's racist. Um, people of color and, and non. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I felt horrible because it felt like on my watch, somehow somebody thought it was okay to make a joke about blackface. And, but and that, going back to that teacher incident that I told you about when I was a yeah, teenager, isn't yeah. that a situation where you just have to have that conversation with that person and go, hey, Absol- that's not. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but but that, only, that only hopefully makes them aware. Yeah. You know, there was more fallout to that yeah. because of how Mo Dollywell felt and how other people of color felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, has added layers uh, to it. And it also should be pointed out, and I think you even said this in the Mo Dollywell chat, we're not a homogenous group, people of color, even South Asian community. And there were a lot of different reactions to just the blackface incident in general. I'm talking about Trudeau's blackface incident, right? So it's also important to point out that all of the feedback is important, but it's not the same. <laughs> well, and you add you add time yeah. to it. You see, I I personally think time's up. Mm-hmm. Time's up. Like and and this will make me cry. Um yet another black man in the United States shot to death mm-hmm. by police intervening if what I've read is true, intervening in a domestic violence case at a gas station. Big, you know, the pictures of him, he's got, he looks like a football player. Mm-hmm. He intervenes and he dies hmm. at the hands of police. Like time is up, yeah. people. And so, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I think I'm pretty, I was pretty clear about that kind of thing. But but obviously not enough. And I, and I, I wish I'd done more and I know... Um, you know, the, the conversation with Mo Dollywell sent us down a path and then Black Lives Matter in, in the States and the and the fallout in Toronto really applied the pressure. And um, and that's good. And so I think there is lots being done. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, my my heart and my hope is that 
time's up and we're going to fix this. One of the things I've heard from journalists who are people of color is that particularly in the past, and they, they all kind of admit it is getting better, but they'll say something about how they pitched a new story about a certain ethnic community. And often that pitch gets brushed off like, well, why would anyone care? Or this isn't important. Or even why are you covering this because you're in that community? So there's a bias or a multitude of reasons why that story should not make air or make print. What was your experience with that in your 35 years in terms of covering different communities, be they indigenous, South Asian, Chinese? Because especially our city, you know, we're, we're made up of such a diverse culture that I think these stories are important and they shouldn't be limited to just, quote unquote, ethnic media. Absolutely. I agree. Um, the difficulty, and there are many, so the difficulties, you know, you have um, some journalists of color who don't want to cover their own communities. Mm, they don't sure. want to be pigeonholed, you know, just because I'm... South Asian, does that have to mean I have to go cover all the South Asian <laughs> stories? Um, and then That's there, fair. There, yeah, yeah, and you have to respect that, right? <laughs> and then there are other people of color who are then multilingual, understand the culture better, mm-hmm. and can get right in and get these great gems of stories that everybody needs to mm-hmm. know. So that's the dichotomy of that in some ways. Um, I think the more diverse voices you have in a newsroom, the more you'll have diverse coverage of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important. And I, it's funny because, you know, I, I binged um, listening to your some of your previous podcasts. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't stop after one. That's no, a bad no, sign no, if you no, stop no, after one. No, And you had an interesting conversation with Justin McElroy uh, and about the data he looks at and about favored communities. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, he talked a lot about really, I think it was one in eight British Columbians actually lives in the city of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that in 2010 and prior to 2010 as we were talking about the Olympics and all about the Vancouver taxpayers. And I remember thinking, I'm not one of them. Because uh, you know, <laughs> there was all this you know, conversation about this left, what was going to be this giant bill for the Olympics, yeah. a la Montreal and how the city would be strapped. And I remember thinking, and that isn't even all of British Columbia. That's just the city of Vancouver. Yeah. So, you know, in so many ways, things get skewed. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so... You know, I think, uh, and it, and it was cute because you we, you talked about the the battle of the communities, and you're from North Van, and mm-hmm. and and you were like, okay, we, we where is whooped. this Pit Meadows place? We got by and Pit Meadows. who are they? We and, brought in Wind Valley, yeah. we brought in Decove, our heavy hitters, <laughs> yeah. and we just got whooped. And and to me, that I mean, I wouldn't in a, in a nanosecond compare it to racism, <laughs> like don't even, not even close, like not even right, but. Um, it's funny because we we were so proud of our communities right? and, and we fight sure. for communities. And I know when I lived in Kits, I went out to Swanee Cent to MC an event, and I thought I was almost at Kelowna. <laughs> it was so far away from my little Kits, you know, mind sure. meld. And I think it's really important right now. I'm so alarmed by the indignation, the self righteousness, and the anger on social media. Mm-hmm. We have swung so far from compassion, understanding, respect, um, and and there. I think 
my personal belief is that people feel so powerless today. Mm. The world is going by them so quickly and it's happening so fast. They, they literally at night are, you know, I, I, I'm powerless. Mm. And so in an effort to regain that sense of I'm in control of my life, they come out swinging yeah. on Twitter, you know, wherever you name all the, all the social media platforms. And I think it's really dangerous um, because I, I think we need to have better understanding. Uh, and one of the uh, pieces of advice for journalists is do the story from your opposing mindset. Hmm. Do That's that, interesting. Do that story. Yeah. Go prove that story right or wrong. Like, go do that. Do it that way. Look at it that way. Ask your interview questions that way. Yeah. Because inherently, everybody's got bias. Like, of it's, course. It's just, yeah. It just <laughs> happens. Yeah. Um, and That's why... I constantly say I'm not a journalist. I have no duty to be objective in any means. You know, I'm a podcaster and I have two editorial spots. So yeah, you're a lot of people a, don't get it, right? You're but, more of an editorialist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, I wandered I the, there. The, the one oh. question I want to ask before we go too far down this road. So when we talk about diverse voices and stories, and again, we can be talking about ethnic groups, we can be talking about geography. Mm-hmm. How do you, as a leader of the newsroom, try to draw that out without defaulting to, hey, you're the South Asian guy, get me a South Asian story? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, newsrooms function on tips, mm. right? Tips from people. So the more diverse our audience is, the better, because, you know, they'll be they'll be calling us with stories. Um, and then the more diverse voices around the table daily, because, you know, we have an assignment. We, oh, it's going to be a while before I stop saying we. <laughs> there is an assignment desk uh, that discusses stories um, and, you know, where, where we want to go and what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, People need to speak up. People need to have input. People need to be heard. That that's how. That that that's what I would do. Uh, yeah. What I did. Yeah. And respect for those ideas. No, that's not a story. That needs to stop, <laughs> right? If you don't, and particularly if you don't understand it, yeah. Don't just stop it in its tracks. Have the um, maturity and understanding to say, struggling. So explain it to me. Why does that matter? Because mm-hmm. I because I don't want my default. To win the day. Yeah. You have had a role in elevating some very talented people of color. The amazing Sophie Louis in the six o'clock news hour. Nitu Garcha, my new favorite. No, your I'm, new favorite? Just new? Yeah. New, relatively new, within yeah. the last year. Okay, good. There, there can only be so many favorites. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but I think, like, what an incredible talent. Like, such a killer. I don't want to be on the opposite side of a grilling from her because she gives you no quarter. <laughs> but but you've had a hand in these careers, in these voices. Do you ever feel frustrated that while with good intentions, you have been working to diversify the newsroom, diversify what's being put out there? You were still being criticized on a lot of these issues. I was. And that's OK. Um, that. For me, that speaks to what I was just talking about, about the outrage, the indignation, the anger, the quick mm-hmm. to judge. And I and I'm people don't get the whole story. They make snap decisions, snap judgments on in that moment. Yeah. And and whew, their rage comes. So, you know, I wouldn't say I feel frustrated because it's not like I'm trying to score brownie points. So 
what I was trying to do was create a really diverse newsroom mm -hmm. and to find talent uh, and to recognize talent and and to restore you know what global bc once was because we it had slipped um when my team and i took over five years ago uh, ctv was chomping at our heels and beating us a couple nights a week at mm -hmm. six o'clock um, not not every week, but it wasn't unheard of. And they had been working for 20 some odd years to do that. And yeah. obviously I have friends who'd worked there and who's so well aware of their, we're getting, you know, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. Um, and what was it about Global BC that had caused a slip or change in viewership to other stations? Oh, gosh, uh, a whole bunch of things. Um, yeah, lack of attention to detail, uh, lack of strong journalism, lack of mm. just covering the news, lack of good leadership, in my opinion, mm. um, lack of knowing the right things to do. Um, you know, a, a lot of that. And it had been so successful for so long that it was kind of on autopilot. Yeah. So if you weren't proactively doing anything to make it better, it was stagnating. Right. You know, and that's hard for people to see sometimes, right? Uh, you can ask my former team, I push hard. <laughs> I push really hard. I'm very competitive. Yeah. Um, and I push really hard to be really good at what we do. Um, and so, um, and so you're when you say I had a hand in, it's quite fascinating to me. I I, I often, people would say, oh, wow, this happened. I'm like, okay, Jeepers Creepers, how do you think that happened? It did not happen by magic. <laughs> it happened because behind the scenes, people like me, have been proactively doing things. Mm -hmm. So I proactively said we need a female we need to stop the lone male anchor mm -hmm. mindset because that's not diverse. Yeah. We need to elevate Sophie Louis to that position because she deserves to be there mm -hmm, and that's absolutely diversity. Uh, I spotted Nitu in at Global Okanagan, CHBC, and I phoned the news director there. This was before I took charge of there or had that in my portfolio and phoned and said, she's good. We're not losing her. If anybody comes looking at her, let me know right away and we'll speed this process up. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything right now, but that's my goal. And um, I did. we then had a mat leave uh, in Victoria, Kylie Stanton went on her first mat leave and I phoned the news director in Kelowna at the time and said, I want to bring her up for this. <laughs> oh, what will we do? I said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and it was funny. Here's a really good example of the man woman thing in jobs. So a young man from another station whom I wasn't super familiar with. Um, and so I think he was more behind the scenes and maybe new on the scene, uh, but also applied for the job and thought he deserved the job. And I phoned him back. I knew my heart was set on E2 and we'd figured it all out. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but Not quite, but, uh, you know, I phoned him back. I said, hey, look, great getting to know you, great talking to you. I just don't think you're quite ready for this role and this opportunity. Well, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, I forgot I'm a woman and you, you're going to just throw all your punches because I'm not a man telling you. And, and maybe I was wrong there. Maybe he would have done that with a man too. Um, and I said, okay. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, mm, you picked the wrong female news director to mess with, kid. Um, I said, all right, so who's the premier? And he rattled off the premier. Uh, it was Christy Clark. I said, who's the leader of the opposition? Uh, Adrian Dix. I said, nope, John Horgan. Wow. Because that switchover just happened. I said, proving my point, 
you're not quite ready for this. Hmm. But thanks for coming out. Need to. And she'll be okay with me telling a story because I've told it a bunch of times. <laughs> I am driving home from Burnaby to Maple Ridge with my cell phone. Okay, this is quite a few years ago now. Tucked under my seatbelt as I'm driving. Okay. Hands free. <laughs> hands free. That's one way to go hands free, sure. Talking to her. But this is urgent and there's not enough hours in the day to get all the work okay. done. And I am now convincing her to leave Penticton and move to Victoria for this mat leave job because mm-hmm. she's smart enough, because she's good enough, because she deserves it, because we'll support her, because we're setting her up for success, because mm-hmm. I can't 100% promise her landing in Vancouver after. Worst case scenario, she has to go back to Penticton. But my hope and dream is somehow something opens up and we can get her in mm-hmm. to Global BC. But that it's a, a um, election year. And she needs to come do this for my 45 minute drive home, talking her into it. Yeah. And it's so typical. Women will not apply for jobs they're overqualified for. And men think they deserve jobs they're under. Yeah. And there's data to support that. Absolutely. (laughs) I am not making that up. Um, But it was so funny because that was my own experience. So so there's that. Uh, Sonia Diol. Great journalist. Mm-hmm. The, the most ironic thing about Son- adding Sonia Deal to our team was the number of haters, and she had a lot of them. You know what they were m- so angry about? What? Her accent. Really? <laughs> and 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 so okay. I wondered. I, I wondered if that was veiled targeting of her skin color. Yeah. Probably in some cases it was didn't want to come right out and say it mm-hmm. so picked accent but so many people were so infuriated by this english accent i'm like have you looked on our money lately <laughs> have, have you noticed this head of you know the common like have you yeah. seen the do you queen know where head of state is? Do, you, do you know we're a commonwealth country have you completely lost touch with that yeah like wow um the other the other big lesson there was our, our audience is very habituated to our people. So to th- put somebody brand new in a prominent role is like bringing in a new best friend and yeah. expecting everybody to love them immediately. It takes and a so little time. I felt so bad because that was really hard and really unfair on her um, and, and took some time. Um, I want to highlight a couple of the other folks. Michael Newman. Mm-hmm. Uh, spotted by one of our other managers, met him on uh, in their neighborhood. Said, hey, I met this guy and he's from the States and he works in television. He's a dual citizen and... Mm-hmm. Brought him in. He is, and I'm sure he'll be okay with this because I've said this to him several times. I love the diversity he brings to the newsroom. And it's literally so much more than his heritage and his Mm -hmm. roots. He is the most intentional, thoughtful. He was leading mindfulness sessions um, for our team. I love that. Once a week, lunchtime, half an hour. He's got the the bowl with the thing that goes around and makes the noise and forgive me. I don't know, but so calming. Um, he's pitched us a, a show idea for us. He's he, I said to him, you bring such diversity. You are so atypical of a person in a newsroom and hallelujah for that. Yeah. Cause that's where we're going to continue to be of value to the public where we bring you the news that you need, but we're also just not telling it from that lens, the Walter Cronkite lens from which it was told for so many decades. Yeah. Um, and I recruited, so I recruited one other person I'm really proud of, Sam Cooper. Oh. Um, he, I had um, started messaging him 
hey, love you, loved your story, loved, mm-hmm. you know, local story, loved your story, great work. Can we get together for coffee? So we met down here, actually, in, in Gastown. And I said, hey, look, I want you to come work for us. I think you're amazing. You'd be a huge asset to our team. I'm building a great team. I want you to be part of it. It was, and he's so lovely. It's so unassuming. He's like, oh, that's great. I'm, you know, happy to hear that. And you know, I'm kind of looking at, you know, maybe moving to Ottawa because that's where our family's from. And it's mm-hmm. so expensive here and those kind of things. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're not going to be part per se of the Global BC team. But I literally back to the station and phone Toronto and a fellow in charge of the web at the time used to work here. So I knew him. I said, you need to hire this guy. I know you have a web opening. I know it's in Toronto. You need to move it to Ottawa so that he can be where he wants to be, but you will not go wrong with this hire. Yeah. And what consequential work he's done for this province, right? Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's it's amazing. Yeah. He's the one global asset that is so protected, I can't get him on the podcast. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll see if I can put in a good word. Please. <laughs> I mean, you would think now I'm kind of affiliated with you guys. Yeah, same company, same parent company. Right? right? Yep. But and no, then, I mean, I, I understand why. I mean, his reporting is so incredible. Stellar. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant and so thorough. So, so thorough. Um, and then one other person, um, Shrushi Gangdev. Oh, the, yeah. Radio. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, you asked what I did as a leader. As a leader, where I had influence um, and the ability to exert that influence, find a solid, diverse candidate for Mm -hmm. this role. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And there's Shrishti. Yeah. Now, pulling back a little bit, not just from your specific work, but just in the culture in general of media, how has it changed from the time you started to today when we look at things like inclusion and diversity, not just for people of color, but for women, LGBTQ folks, people with disabilities and others? I feel like the last 30 years, I mean, I've only been around for 35 years, but based on things that I've seen, I feel like there's been a huge change in how we view the world. From your vantage point in news, in media, can you explain the changes you've seen? There have been lots, but, I, but I'm but i going to go back to time's up. You know, we, we've run out of time to say we're changing, we're changing. We mm. need to change now. We need to rectify all of this. I see a lot of the trans hate that goes on um, on social media. Um, I... I was going through some some um, old magazine covers, and I came across um, one with True Wilson on it. Um, and she, do you know True? She's the young woman. Uh, her parents, uh, Michelle and Garfield, mixed race couple, mm-hmm. which forty years ago would have been shocking in and right. of itself. Yeah. Um, and and I, I work with a gentle, worked with a gentleman whose whose wife um, they're a mixed race couple, and he said. 25 years ago back east when they went looking for apartments they quickly learned that he should go alone and secure the rental right and and i'm just like oh, in your lifetime oh my yeah. oh my that make that you know and and he has three kids and he worries about his two sons um and police um and uh true um born male and identified very early on as female. So um, a mixed race parents who were so brilliant in recognizing and allowing her to be her. And 
I met her mom at an event I was moderating and she came up to me afterwards and said, we, our family has a story to tell and I think you're the person to tell that story. Mm-hmm. So on BC One, we did the very first interview um, with Michelle and Garfield and True. And um, so things have changed. Yeah. Drastically. Um, but not enough. You know, not enough because... The race thing is still huge, uh, mm-hmm. and and I and I and and the diversity thing is still huge, and the anti LGBTQ two is still huge. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even and the that, gender inequity, I would say. Yeah. So, and here's the thing um, that I learned from from my role, and and we are all only our lived experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's who we are. Mm-hmm. So, what I know is being a female who was. Um, Viewed sexually by bosses, you know, as a woman, you knew, you know, and kind of the jokey saying as well, they'll hire you because they want to sleep with you, right? Like, I I never was forced into that kind of a position, but I certainly had bosses who objectified me. Mm -hmm. Oh, those are nice pants. Turn around. (laughs) Pardon? Good God, this is a workplace, right? Um, But there was a time that was... Normal conversation. Well, yeah. So, so was cigarette smoking at your desk in the in the bottle of whiskey in your bottom drawer. Sure, right? yeah. <laughs> so, so we've come a long way. But you know, as a woman, and then in this leadership role, which was really awakening, um, of knowing, of understanding what's happening behind the scenes, um, it took me decades to get to that leadership role. It's incumbent upon me to not make people of color wait that long. Mm. Trans people wait that long. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that like just because that because I had somebody say, well, they'll work their way up. Oh, good, oh lo- love you. God, you know, bless your heart, as they say in the <laughs> South. Bless your heart. <laughs> um, that's, no, we need to be proactive right now in searching out qualified people, of course, of color who can slide into these roles right now because they've been unfairly held back. And we need to fix that. Same with trans people. Same with any other, you know, LGBT, LGBTQ2, you know, anything. Like, yeah. let's level the playing field. But so many people, and clearly we're seeing that in the South, are very threatened by that. Yeah. So, so threatened. And it's that fear that feels so pervasive right now. And I'm, af- I'm, I'm not afraid of that fear, but I'm just, I'm so worried. I don't want that fear to take over. Because mm-hmm. I, I honestly think... If that fear takes over, we're witnessing the epic decline of our society. And yeah. I and I mean that with the weight with which I say it. Because I all those weirdo, you know, sci-fi movies that that show how we live in the future that are, you know, people in walled cities and <laughs> overlords and like, yeah. Like we need to be careful in this moment. What what we're asking for. Be careful, those of you asking for the weight, for it to stay the way it's been or the way you're comfortable. Be careful right. what you're asking for. Tamara Taggart on this podcast talked about how media is a boys club where all the big decisions are made by men. The podcast was big for both of us because it had a feature written about it in the Vancouver Sun. And someone tweeted at you I'm sure Jill Crop appreciates that comment. And your response on Twitter was, define appreciates, 
with a winky face emoji. Very cryptic. I wasn't sure. Do you how think to, that was cryptic? Yeah, I wasn't sure how to read it. To be, so, to be who honest was the with person you. who tweeted that? I I apologize. I can't remember. Someone tweeted it at you, like, "Oh, I'm sure you appreciate these comments." And so, what do you think their intent was? To say that Tamara was wrong, or that Tamara's comments were wrong. Yeah, uh, uh, that's why I said define appreciates. Like, do you mean I think it's funny, or do you think I'm offended, or? But there was a winky face in there implying something. Well, right? it's like, well, hey, <laughs> def- define appreciates for me. I don't want to interpret it. Yeah. I, I just want to ask you but right isn't that, now. Isn't that fascinating that one winky face emoji would carry that? Wait. That's language evolving. Yes, right? it is. It is. I mean, words matter, but so do emojis yeah, and how you present sure. yourself online. Um, so just well, when, when you heard and, and read Tamara's comments. You're you're saying that I did? No, I'm, I'm teasing I'm you. you did. <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> I can look them up. I yeah, can read yeah. them to no, you. No, no, no. Like... Um, well, I don't remember them verbatim. Yeah. Uh, what I will say is that her, is that is her lived experience. It's not mine, but that's Okay. We can have, and people have, very different experiences. But you um, just talked about how certainly there was a time in media where you were objectified. You were talk, you've talked about how to get to the position of leadership where you were at, you know, it, it took a lot of work and you want to make sure that other groups don't have to go through the same hurdles and they can have an equal opportunity yeah, to those exactly. positions. Mm-hmm. Aren't you conceding that what she's saying being her lived experience, there is some truth to that? Well, I certainly made big decisions. Um, I know there are executives at all the networks that who are women making mm-hmm. decisions. I, I, You know, I think when I started 34 years ago, I graduated from BCIT in 86. Um, so 34 years ago, um, you were one when I started <laughs> I <was>. doing this. <laughs> um, men made all the decisions, for sure. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's still the same, and it it certainly isn't where I am. And mm-hmm. and global uh, across the country has a female news director in Halifax, which covers the Maritimes, uh, Montreal, Saskatchewan, covering both Regina and Saskatoon, Calgary, and I was in Vancouver. And and those those roles make big decisions. But that's that's my experience mm-hmm. with my, the network I worked for. I I cannot comment on. What's happening at CTV? I, I don't know. What if someone were to say, and I don't actually know if this is true, but I'm asking you. Sure. What if someone was to say, well, that's great for Jill Crop to say, but most of her bosses, people above her, were men. Mm, what about that? Like, like, but doesn't like, that prove... Oh, Tamara Wright? Yeah. <laughs> is that what we're trying to do here? Prove Tamara Wright? No, I'm, I'm just asking what you thought of her comments and if she is correct in saying that media is a boys club. And I'm just, and I understand that obviously you. She's allowed to say that for sure. But <laughs> Let's I'm allowed take her to, out of it. Let's but I'm say. not allowed, but I don't have, but I, I personally have seen it change. Okay. Fair my right. current, oh my gosh, here I go again. My former boss, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only, it's been less than a week, sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Wednesday last week was my last day. So we're just coming up on a week. It feels like a long time ago. My, my boss in Toronto is a woman. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So kind with her time, with her thoughts. Um, such a strong leader. Yeah. Um, the head of the people team at Chorus is a woman. Um, yes, news has been predominant, predominantly run by men. And and case in point, uh, Squire Barnes is doing great stories on 
BCTV Global 60th anniversary. Mm-hmm. We have a wicked archive. Like I'm, it's just, it's, it's so massive. Yeah. Um, but I said to him, wow, I'm watching your stories and I'm reminded because all your clips are of older white males because <laughs> yeah. they ran the news. But keep in mind, also back then, we didn't have large communities of of um, people from other countries. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't. Yeah, now, sure. now, don't get me wrong. Chinatown has been here yeah. forever. And what we did collectively to the Japanese mm-hmm. is horrific. Um, and and I, I, I know I've been thinking about this and I've been meaning to throw this in here. I also really think that one of Canada's great shames is uh, the way Indigenous people have been treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have such a long way to go still, still to work on that and to fix that. But back to this question. Um, it has changed. Uh, it has changed more in some places than in others. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of power and influence as a woman in my news organization. I want to talk about another BC media personality, Justin McElroy. We brought him up already. You noted in a tweet that his departure from Global was your biggest regret. You also expressed apologies for how he was treated. We don't have to get into that because that's Justin's story and we're not here to gossip. But when you say an apology for how someone's treated... Yeah, it raises ma- questions. <laughs> there's certain implications there. Mm-hmm. So again, when we talk about systemic discrimination, we also have to talk about bullying and bringing back in Tamara Taggart in the discussion again, different network. But she also described the newsroom as a toxic work environment. Are newsrooms a toxic work environment? Okay, that's a two-parter, so I'm going to yeah, start please. with Justin. <laughs> I, I adore Justin. Um, and and I had just become news director as he was headed out the door. Mm. So that was so disappointing for me to see him go because I had hoped um, under my leadership that – and I had no vision of what he's become. But I knew there was something. Yeah. And so I, I'm so regretful that that didn't happen where he was with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin's different. Justin has since been fairly clear about being on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love the authenticity and freedom with which he has spoken about that mm-hmm. in social media. Um, to me, it was very apparent Justin was different. And that's okay Therein lies, again, the diversity we need in journalism. Yeah. Sometimes different scares other people, frustrates other people. Some people want equal treatment for all to the point of you had two assignments to cover this. Now you get two assignments to cover Mm -hmm. this. You're working this shift. You have to work this shift. You're not allowed to go cover these passion projects, so neither are you. Hmm. Life isn't like that, yeah. nor is journalism like that. Um, I remember Justin offering to do writing profiles for an election, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I looked at this other this team and said, you guys have no idea how lucky you are 
somebody has stepped up and said, can I do those? Because I love doing that. Because that is my least favorite kind of work to do. It's tedious. It's, some would call it boring. Sure. Not me, but some would call it boring. Um, That's one of his talents. There are a lot of things that on the surface might look boring, but he makes them so entertaining and engaging. So, So there were people who didn't appreciate that and didn't understand that and didn't recognize it and very um, sadly uh, didn't weren't as nice to him as they could have been hmm. um, so it's 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 it, that doesn't exist there anymore that's gone um, and so uh, that's good because I would would hope that we would add they, not we, they would have <laughs> more diversity because, and I'm so, um, I wouldn't often say I'm grateful to the CBC, but I'm so grateful for the people over there who've allowed him to, to really blossom the way he mm-hmm. has because he's, he's somebody special. And he and I have had this conversation, right? Just sure. so, so your audience knows I'm not talking out of school. Like yeah. He and I have discussed this. Newsrooms. Toxicity. toxicity. Yes, newsrooms can be hugely toxic. Take a combination of really smart people, really big egos, pressured deadlines, lots of moving parts, lots of uh, need to have it be perfect. I was trying to think of all of the things where you start fresh every day, clean slate, you have to create not just the prototype, but the perfect product and present it at six o'clock. Uh, like I came up with bakeries because <laughs> they, they do that and sandwich shops because they do that. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like the pressure in news is intense sure. to get it right, to talk to both sides, to cover Metro Vancouver, to get from one end to the other so you get both people. Um, and then, like we said before we started recording, it's showbiz. And it's right? showbiz. There's so much attached to the aesthetic, not just of the person, but as you said, how things look, how things are presented. Yeah. And I I hope I've been pretty clear. I know I've said it out loud several times. We, You know, within your own newsroom, don't compete against one another in that awful, nasty, mm. compete way. If you're going to compete, aim for the competition. Yeah. <laughs> right? But but internally, we don't need to be doing that. And I, I will say, certainly when I got to BCIT, BCIT, BCTV, there wasn't really any of that. And I've not ever been um, somebody who wanted to step over people to get to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal has always been to make myself better. So if I spot somebody who's really good, that's the direction I'm headed. I want to be as good or better than that person but not in that awful toxic way they get to do their own thing i can't control them i only control me yeah and i've had people say well so and so got this Mm -mm -mm." you control you so why don't (laughs) you worry about what you can contribute and you can do and let them worry about them because your work is going to speak for itself when i went to check tv quite a few years ago mary beth burton was there um and she commented on this online recently, I think Facebook. Um, and when I got there, she was ready. and Not claws out, but she was ready. Okay, here comes another woman, you know, roughly the same age, maybe a little bit older. Like, what kind of a cat fight are we going to get into here? And mm-hmm. I said, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Donna. And she said, I taught her that we weren't there to compete against one another. Mm. Like, let's support each other and make this team great, right? And do that. So, 
I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, and I really learned this over the last five years, because make no mistake, I took my shots at management when I wasn't in management. It, it's, it for me reminds me of like raising teenagers. You get back what you got. So sure. <laughs> I, I had a few, you know, areas of comeuppance that happened where I'm like, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm, that's my little lesson. <laughs> um, if you recognize it's toxic, you then have a responsibility to help create a non-toxic hmm. environment. And I have uh, one colleague. And as I, a manager or as someone in the environment? Anybody. Yeah. As a human being. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the teacher who pulled you aside yeah. about using the gay slur. If he hadn't of, and yeah, he had some authority over you because he was a teacher and you were a kid. But he could have just let it go. Yeah, But he absolutely. didn't because he knew it was important. And so... Um, I phoned I phoned Jen Gansky, Jennifer Gansky, who's our scheduler. I phoned her this morning and said, I'm having this conversation. Are you okay if I use your name? She said, yeah, sure. <laughs> she and I talked a lot about it because she was the scheduler. So it's a little bit like the um, psych- psychologist for the station or the bartender for the station okay. where everybody pours in their thoughts and feelings. So she'd hear a lot from people. And, and I said to her, let's, well, we both said, let's fix this. Hmm. This isn't a bad place to work. It doesn't have to be acrimonious. Yes, the industry is struggling. Yes, we're all afraid for our jobs. Yes, it's really hard work. But if you step away from all that, look at this place. We are at the number one newsroom in British Columbia. We have the biggest staff. We have the best ratings. We cover the most things. We do amazing work. We're this mm-hmm. great team. We support each other on social media. We do all these things. So let's stop some of that internal. And it it, it had become a pattern. And so Jen said, you know, there were a few people who'd wander into her office and go, oh. <laughs> she's like, you know, I, I just want to say to you, you come in here and start your day off, and then my day with that. Why? Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't realized that. And so it's a combination of words are important, and be careful of the pattern you fall into. Mm. Um, And somebody else, one of our our anchors, again, just as I got the job, we were having some, and I, forgive me, I can't remember, having some kind of conversation about the newsroom and how people were feeling. And she said, okay, let's just talk about the big elephant in the room. The gossiping. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you sweet young thing. That's a newsroom. Yeah. We can't fix that. And I went back to her about a year later and went, you were bang on. Yeah. And you are right. And we need to work on it. Yeah. And so that was one of those. I love all the magic moments that happen, like the eye openers, that the, the revelations that, that come along the way. Mm-hmm. And that was one of them. And I, you know, Jen worked really hard um, to help people take that toxicity out and and a a year two years ago I remember saying out loud if I'm allowed the grace of a legacy I want it to be that I changed the culture Mm -hmm. just as we wrap it up one question I have is when we look at a large organization be it media or elsewhere short of micromanaging every interaction how can you address systemic issues, be it systemic discrimination or workplace toxicity or whatever it may be, how do you address those in a large company? Because on one hand, you can say, okay, you have these interactions with every individual every time something comes up, but you must have learned something in your time there about 
influencing broader change with different policies or actions, right? Yeah. Strong leadership with great vision and um, incredible communication and repetitive communication mm. is your only shot, in my opinion. Yeah. And even then, you have to recognize there will, in all likelihood, be a small percentage of people you can't convert. Yeah. <laughs> you can't impact. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think I naively thought... Do you just get rid of those people then? What happens? Um, it's not a... It's not a um, hmm. When you recognize that someone cannot be converted, do you, is it just well, better to you, get them out of there? It's really hard to let somebody go saying they're a racist. <laughs> like, like, you know, unless you Why have, not, though? Well, unless you have... Like, letting people go, firing, is ridiculously hard in this day and age. It, and but I, you just said it's hard to let someone go if they're a racist. Like, if they're full-blown well, no, if, if, full so racist? You, but, like, so from the legal perspective yeah. of disengaging with employees, you need a ton of proof, mm. right? And we've seen that. We've seen even some of the people who've been caught on air yelling that horrible slur against women that, mm. that, that men yell running through live shots. Right. Those things. Um let go from their jobs and they win their jobs back some mm. of them right so that that's my point okay. is if you could just cut loose all the people who were making life difficult poof piece of cake yeah. um and it's funny I, I one of the other revelations i had early on i i listened to a lot of well i listened to a lot of sports radio um and i love the people who call in with that bum and that fool and that <laughs> coach and that gm and man are they stupid and you know what they need to do <laughs> Except you play beer league hockey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you don't have a clue, the knowledge base or the experience to know what they're dealing with. The contractual obligations, the law, right. the behind the scenes politics. Like there's so many layers to it. I felt that when I took over. You inherit a team. Mm -hmm. You get that team. You coach, uh, you know, pick a coach. How, you know, you coach like Alain Vigneault or you, or you coach like um, Tortorella, mm -hmm. right? John Tortorella. Like, and the team needs to adapt to that in, in certain respects and you need to adapt to change. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, 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 over time, some people leave, some people you part ways with. Um, but yeah, it's not as easy as saying, mm, you're the one that's holding us back. So y you really, you really just, you know, do all those things that I said at the beginning, have mm -hmm. great vision for what you want to achieve and what this place looks like, you know, as a diverse entity where everyone is accepted and, and over communicate that and, and make sure that, that people know that and allow authentic conversations. The, the fellow of color I was talking to this morning on the way in, because I said, hey, I want I want to hear from you. If I'm asked if our newsroom is racist and toxic, you know, I, I need to hear from you. Sure. I, right. Um, we hung up. He said, I got to go because I got to go to this. But can we can we keep talking about this? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. We can keep talking about this. Mm. And what you're doing in having these conversations is also really important because you're going to reach other people who aren't reached, you know, it, on Twitter or, uh, you know, name any one of the other platforms. There's so many spaces now where people go for their information yeah. that the more we can get, I think, this kind of conversation into those spaces, the better off we'll be. Well, it's, it's a different format. Right, it's not. It's not global BC where they're. We well, have time. Are, yeah, you don't have a minute forty-five to try and to I'm, convey a notion. And I'm covering 
less in terms of breadth, right? I'm not covering all the issues as a newsroom yeah. would. Yeah. <laughs> I'm covering things that, that interest me, but yeah. I appreciate that. Never underestimate the power of this, though. Never underestimate <laughs> the power of this. I'm serious. Yeah. I take that to heart. No, yeah. I appreciate it. What are you most proud of in your media career? Hmm. There are moments that stand out. It's a little blips of time. Uh, in Halifax, I covered the hunt, manhunt for a serial killer, Alan Legere. Uh, and without a monitor, so I couldn't see what the people at home were seeing, I almost narrated perfectly his walk in handcuffs from the courthouse or wherever into a car. Wow. <laughs> and I remember the guys going, oh, my God, how did you do that? I'm like, I was just talking. We were lucky that it matched the pictures. Um, um, when <laughs> so I, he could have tripped and fallen. He and could have, and I wouldn't have known because we were a satellite, ASN, Atlantic Satellite Network, yeah. so I couldn't see. You, know, yeah. you couldn't get satellite reception on a monitor in the field. Um, uh, similarly, not that many years ago, I got sent to Sparwood to cover the abduction of Keenan Hebert um, by Randall Hopley. And it was just me and a cameraman. And as you, I don't know if you are aware, but Sparwood is like at the Alberta border okay. with BC. So we flew and then drove and it was long. We actually had to go find a hotel in Alberta, hmm. <laughs> sleep for four hours and come back and start the next day. Um, and I, I I thought I did a, a, a good job of covering that and sub-anchored the show from there and and... You know, so that moment stands mm -hmm. out. Funny thing about that, a woman called me when I was there covering it and said, he'll bring him back. And I'm like, pardon? She said, Randall Hopley will bring Keenan Hebert back. This is what he does. Hmm. I'm like, uh, I have no idea who this woman is. And I thought, I can't go on TV and say, you know, a source has told me yeah. he'll bring him back. Because what if he does? Yeah. But he did. You probably aren't familiar with the story, but he literally hmm. brought him back about two and a half or three days later in the middle of the night to to the home he abducted or the home where the kid lived, where where, he, where the Heberts lived. Wow. And dropped him off. And for whatever reason, the police weren't watching the house. And I always felt guilty because I'm like, she told me that this would happen. How did that happen? Yeah. But that was his MO. And, and that's another good lesson. People in small towns know who's who and what's what. Right. So take all your assumptions and throw them out the window and <laughs> listen to the locals. 9-11, uh, um, I watched in horror from home. I worked the late news. Uh, Kevin Newman, who we, had just joined us from New York for Global National as they were launching that. Thank God, because none of us had that innate knowledge of Manhattan and New York. So mm -hmm. Global's coverage was brilliant because of Kevin Newman and his experience. And then at, when he finally stepped off the decks, desk at 9.30 at night, I took over the national coverage. I was like, okay, be like Kevin, be like Kevin, be like Kevin. <laughs> um, and a really lovely woman who worked at the province called me the next day and said, can I write an article about you being the anchor there? You know, there are some people in BC who will always identify that you were the person who walked them through this. Wow. Um, and so that was... That, that's a trip, hey? Yeah, that was... Well, that was... Uh, you know, that's a whole other show. That was unprecedented. Um, yeah. and, and But I love that we learn from every event. So when we learn from a, you know... Certainly not a one-day event because of all the prep that went into everything that goes in that that but that one day signified that whole event. Mm -hmm. And then you look at COVID, and I remember early on in COVID saying, "Wow, this is going to change how people companies look at their workspace." Mm -hmm. um, 
And when you look at all of the changes to our world, locked cockpits, no metal cutlery, take your shoes off, you know, the things that have no liquids, the things that have changed just in air travel alone Mm -hmm. from that. Now envision the change in our world overall because of COVID. Yeah. Like I walk around now and think, hmm, are we always going to wear masks? Is my 12-year-old not going to know a world without masks? I think it's going to be really common. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's quite it's quite fascinating. So so you know those are memorable moments. Obviously the personal growth I've had and the understanding I hope I've achieved over the last 5 years in management um, has been the biggest stretch for me. Yeah. The biggest stretch. You beat yourself up a lot. You judge yourself a lot. You regret comments, decisions, all sorts of all sorts of things. So then you need to have the grace to allow yourself to say, "Okay, but you're just human." Yeah, absolutely. And it, it it's funny because I'm a firm believer we all launch into our 20s and 30s as the person we were in high school <laughs> because it's so formative. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it takes a lot to shake that. Yeah. Moving to another city, going to a universe. Like it takes a lot to shake that. So all those insecurities, you know, stick with you for a long time. Um, And I I will say the same about my leadership. I was focusing more on what I was doing wrong than what I was doing right. Mm -hmm. And so the nicest thing of all of stepping down uh, and leaving on a high and leaving purposefully and leaving feeling really good about it um, was the kind things people said that, you know, you, you go, I did do that, didn't I? That was good. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm glad I've had a positive impact and I'm going to take that forward uh, and feel good about it. I love that. We have to wrap it up here. We're way over time. Sorry. No, no don't apologize. <laughs> I was engaged. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Where would you like to direct the listeners? Usually this is the part of the show where you boost your social media or where you're working. Is there anywhere you want to direct the listeners to? It doesn't even have to be about you now that you're that's a good done, point. done broadcasting. That's, that's a yeah. good point. It's not about me. Um, w- w- yeah, just stay informed. You know, and be really careful of confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. which is entering that echo chamber that just shoots back exactly what you want to hear. Stretch your heart, stretch your mind. You know, I'd be happy if you did it at Global News and at CKNLU. (laughs) Happy, happy. Um, It's funny. I was thinking about this and and how you wrap these things up. And I was thinking of be fun at the end of this to do a fast five. So if I may. You're going to do a fast five? Yeah. So you're going to ask me five questions? Yeah. Is that okay? I have to answer quickly. Well, yeah, because they're easy. Okay, because they're not—they're not trick questions, really. Um, okay. So, election, mail-in ballot or in person? In person, but advanced polling. Nice. Um, beer or champagne? I have to say champagne now. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, if I had my way, champagne every day. But that's not an everyday kind of drink. So. <laughs> okay, I like the qualifiers. Um, Hockey or any other sport? Ooh. You know, I used to be a big sports guy probably up until my mid-20s. And now the only sport I follow somewhat regularly is UFC, surprisingly. Not surprising, but yeah. interesting. So I'd, uh, I guess I'd go other sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Trick one. Global BC or CKNW? <laughs> CKNW all day. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. And I, I, I've almost lost track, but I think that was four. Okay. I think so, it was four. So um, brunch or breakfast? Oh, brunch. That's an easy one. <laughs> you were right. They were totally easy. The only tough one was CKNW, but technically Same I'm company. with them. Because um, I think people need to know more about you. Yeah, I mean that's happening for sure. Yeah. O- over the course of this, over absolutely, of this, because people get yeah, and and I think that's really important. And I, you know, back to what I was saying, understanding of everybody and where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and and I and I think there are far fewer evil people in the world than than you imagine. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean you, I mean we collectively. You know, <laughs> I, I I think we need to stop jumping on comments and emojis and assume massive intent mm-hmm. and take umbrage. Um, uh, we need to make this a kinder, gentler world because we're all headed for the same fate which you know get busy living or get busy dying yeah thank you i have to say this this was really special for me i know that there were some clouds around your departure from global bc so i'm glad we could talk about that i want to be clear Mm -hmm. and and when you said and i you know i i really don't want to split hairs or seem defensive because i'm not um you know, when you said a lot of people are asking about the Vice article, I would... I'm talking about Twitter. Yeah, That's just that. me talking well, shit. Well, that's, that's the thing. And, and it, so it goes back to words and intent are important. And and those are those echo chambers. Yeah. And so I think if you if we walked out on the street here, A, half the people wouldn't know who I am. <laughs> then the other half would be, sorry, what, huh? she left. And I still get people saying, oh, I watch you all the time. Mm, haven't been on air in five years, but thanks. It was a very so, general statement. I should have qualified it. I apologize well, for you that. Know, and no apology required. But but that's the, you know, that's the funny thing about this. Yeah, is, people in their eco chambers talking and wondering. Yes. And So I'm glad we could talk about yeah. that. And more importantly, I'm glad we could talk about some of those issues that were surrounding the speculation. Even yes. if they had nothing to do with your departure. I think that was more important to me to be able to talk to you about that stuff because your name was that. coming up in a lot of those conversations. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I think your career is an incredible testament to hard work, to talent, but also to inclusion, as I said, considering the voices that you have elevated throughout your career and helped elevate throughout your career, myself included, to a much smaller degree. If this is the end for you in journalism and broadcasting, Congratulations on a spectacular career. I really do believe that you are an icon in this province, and I think your legacy as a trailblazer will be one that people who enter this space will admire and aspire to. So thank you so much for this conversation. You're welcome, and we can get together and drink champagne anytime. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. People... She is a trailblazer. You've seen her on TV for three decades now, and you can thank her for many people you see on TV or hear on the radio today. She is the iconic Jill Crop, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>